Well, let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. That is model walking right there. Yes, it is. Um, (laughs) Catwalk, yes. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 is where we're going to be reading. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to turn there, we're going to read, we're going to turn our attention to the explanation of God's word. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you the way that we always do. We come needy. We require you to give us illumination. We require you to give us understanding. We require that you speak to us and you transform us by your word. That word has power to change us because when we put our faith and trust in Christ... You send the Spirit to live within us, Lord, to cancel out our sins, to begin the transformation of of who it is that we are, that we might hear what you're saying to us and change us, that we might be different, remade into your image. Lord, we thank you that the scriptures promise that if you've began this good work in us, you'll be faithful to complete it until the day that we meet you. And so, Lord, there's there's great hope that we'll experience transformation. We know that things will turn out as we've been told, as you've promised. But, Father, living this life here each and every day can be so distracting all of the the things that we have to get done and the priorities and all the anxieties and demands and things that compete for our attention can draw our minds from looking up and focus our attention on what's right in front of us, on things that we're worried about in the future or things that, that, that we struggle with from the past. Lord, and so I, I pray that you'd help us to, to see the importance of looking up where Christ is, that we might have a hope and We might have encouragement and we might have a strong conviction of how to live the life that you've called us to, Lord, so that we can serve you in the way that you ask. We thank you that you not only call us to this life, but you give us the power to live it. We pray that we would see it, Lord, knowing that you're good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 
I was blessed uh, pretty much all of my life, I think. Uh, we had computers in our house, which, you know, there was a time when there weren't computers everywhere, where people didn't carry them in their pocket, they didn't wear them on their wrist, you know. Um, they're, they're, I can remember uh, the very first time a computer entered our home. And uh, this wasn't the PC Junior that became the family computer. This was the VIC-20 that my uh, dad got me for my birthday, which was like the entry-level kid computer, not quite advanced as the Commodore 64. Um, and, uh, and so I can recall sitting in my room, my, my dad put this like desk in the closet, right? And so I would sit facing into the closet and the monitor was there and I had this VIC-20 and it didn't have a, a floppy drive, right? That, that, that big black floppy disk, right? It didn't have one of those little uh, three and a quarter drives. It had a, a cassette tape drive, right? Where when you saved, it would say, press record on the tape and you had to record it on an audio tape, right? And then when you wanted to load a program, you had to like put the tape at the right time on the little counter and then play the program into the computer. This was like, it was high tech. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was amazing. And so back then, you could get magazines from the library, right, where they would have programs in the magazine, and you could type in all of the commands and all of the, the things that the program would do, and uh, you'd punch it all in there, and then you would hopefully remember that you had to save it to the tape, right? so that you could just load it next time um, and not have to uh, manually type it all out again. Uh, and if you were on your game and you made no spelling or coding errors, you could type run program and like a little man would parachute out of the sky and you could like move him left and right with your cursor and, uh, and he would land on a little platform and it would be like, Da-da! you know, and you'd get a point. And it was, yeah, it was Basic Magazine, I think it was, or Games, maybe. Uh, this was like cutting-edge stuff. I can remember uh, typing something and getting it all done and running it and enjoying the, the playing this program. And I went to save it on the tape, and we had the, uh, the power strip was on the ground, on the floor, right, in front of my desk. And I, as it was starting to save, I touched the power uh, strip switch with my foot and shut the computer off in the middle of recording the program and it was like, well, never going to play that again because I ain't typing it again. Um, there, there were these commands, right, that were in the programs. Uh, there were these if-then statements, right? Like, if this happens, if you receive this input, then do that. And so you type out if, and then there's like random meaningless to me list of things. And so it's if, and then this information, then do this. Or um, do this, not that would would be a, a command string. Um, if, if the 
program does this, then do this because that. And you'd create these little fields of information that had all the whatever is going on. And so I didn't understand what was going on. I just knew I had to type this stuff in, get it accurate, and the computer would do stuff. Other people understood all that. When this happens, do that. Uh, there, there's an expression that I heard my father explains to me when you type run and it, the computer just like begins to display information or it'll just, it'll do nothing or it'll lock up and you have to uh, restart it. Uh, the, the expression had the, the abbreviation G-I-G-O, right? The acronym was G-I-G-O, just those letters. Garbage in, garbage out. Right? You know, if you don't get it all right, if you don't program it all accurately, then when you hit run, it's just going to spit out nonsense. Um, the other uh, one that you might know that comes from that era is WYSIWYG. You know that? W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G. WYSIWYG. That's how you say. Yeah, that, like that. Uh, and that's what you see is what you get. Right? You know? Uh, that's, those are, those are the, the acronyms that defined computing then. Uh, I want to I make an argument this morning. That's what Paul is, Paul's doing this in Colossians chapter 3. He's doing this in, in Colossians chapter 1 and 2. But in, in, in chapter 3, this is when it, it becomes clear what, what Paul is trying to teach the Colossians and communicate to them. He's been, he's been leading up to this point, and this is a, a, a key point where he's explaining, look, what goes in is what determines what comes out in the Christian life, right? You, you have to make important choices as a, a Christian in terms of, of what it is that you believe so that when you are trying to run the program on a daily basis and you're trying to live it out, that the right stuff has been punched in. Because if it's not right, then you're going to experience the kinds of struggles that you shouldn't. There are struggles that we should encounter in the Christian life. There are, there are difficulties that come. Some difficulties are of our own making. Some difficulties are because we've got bad thinking or bad ideas about who God is, what God has done, and what we're called to do. So I want to I talk about if, then. I want to talk about do this, not that. And then we'll talk about because this and this. And then we'll finish up by talking about when and then. All right? There you go. You have the outline. Okay. Um, as, as Paul starts his, his letter to the Colossians, he says, we're thankful for you. This is Colossians 1, 3. We're, we're praying for you. And in, in 1, 9, Paul prays, so from the day that we've heard about your faith, we've not ceased to pray for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
the, the, the thing that, that Paul is doing when he hears about the Colossians' faith is that he begins to pray, and he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will for them in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's saying, I want you to make sure that you've got the, the right information flowing in, that you're receiving proper information. Why? Because they are under attack. There are people coming into their midst and teaching them things that are not true. They're preaching other truths, other gospels. As Paul would say in Galatians, that there is no other gospel. They are, they are false. They're counterfeit. And they're going to produce junk in, in their lives. What is, what is Paul's prayer for their, the, the knowledge of God's will? What, what does he want them to understand He wants them to understand that they're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They're to bear fruit with all power according to his glorious might. That's verse 11. That's a a passive thing, right? That they they bear fruit. Fruit is is forced out of the tree, right? Because of, of what's coming into it. The, the nutrients are coming out of the ground and being absorbed from, from the sun, and then the tree produces fruit. We're called to, to bear fruit as God produces it in us. Verse, verse 11 says to be strengthened with all power. That's also passive, that we'd be strengthened by God. So we're to walk in a manner worthy of God, worthy of the Lord, we're to bear fruit and we're to be strengthened. We're also to to give thanks to the Father. That's an active thing that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be filled with, with gratitude. Verse 12 explains why there are there are three passives in in verse 12 and 13 three things that god is doing verse 12 says that he's qualified us to share in his inheritance God's the one who says, I make you worthy of this inheritance. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's he's taken us out of this place where we were trapped in sin. And he's brought us or transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, where we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We're called to give thanks to the father and we're to bear fruit from God and to be strengthened because he's qualified us, he's delivered us, he's transferred us. And then we're we're treated to this incredible image of who Jesus is in verses 15 through 20. The image of the invisible God, the creator of all things, the, the one who holds all things together, the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning He's the firstborn from the dead. The the, the truth about Jesus is that he is fully God, fully man. Everything holds together in in him, his, his perfect divinity and his perfect humanity. All of that dwells inside of him and he comes sent by the Father to be the mediator between God and man, to be the one who, who, uh, who builds a bridge of peace between the two. It says in verse 20 that through Jesus, all things are reconciled to God. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
He made peace by the blood of his cross. Paul is pointing out where the things that the Father does for us or to us, where that strength or power comes from, right? When it it says that he qualified us to share in the inheritance, where does does God get the right to say to sinful people who are disqualified for their behavior, where does he get the right to say you are now qualified, right? In the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, it says it's an abomination for someone to justify the wicked. It's not okay under the Old Testament law for a judge to say about someone who's guilty, he's not guilty, he's innocent. Because if you do that, then where, is, where does justice live? There, there needs to be punishment for sin. And so Jesus comes as the sin bearer to take sin upon himself and to be punished for the wrong that we've done. And since he's been punished for that wrong, then God can call us righteous because the the penalty has been carried out on Christ. That's the good news of of the gospel as it concerns our our guilt before God. We're, We're cleared of that guilt because of what Jesus has done for us. He made peace by the blood of his cross. We're reconciled to God because of what Jesus has done for us. It says that, we're, we, that, that Jesus, verse 22, has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before the Father. Whether the scripture says holy and blameless and above reproach, it's saying that we are perfect perfect, perfect before God because of what Jesus has done for us. That's important if we're going to get how to live the Christian life right. If, if we're going to get living the life right, we need to understand that this is, a, this is a key principle. This is the most important thing. Before we, before we get to the place where we can run the program, right, all the data needs to be entered in in order to run the program. If you try to run it before the, the information's all in there, nothing's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to get errors or junk is going to spout out. Paul says that, that God's plan, this is in 124 to 29, that God's plan is to, that, that Paul make known among the people of the earth that, that he is sent out to all the different tribes, that he make known the, the riches of the glory of God's mystery, this, this plan that he'd been working on since the, the beginning of time in the Old Testament, that, that he'd been working and, and bringing something into existence. It was hidden and is now revealed, the, the mystery. The mystery wasn't still like unsolved, it was, it was uh, finished and, and revealed to the people. The, the mystery of what, what God has been doing throughout all history is, is this, in verse 27, Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. Christ in us, it, it, it means that Messiah doesn't come the way, the way that the Jews thought, just to rule over the, the nation of Israel. Right? That Messiah is not coming just to boot the Romans off of, of, of uh, the Holy Land. You know, that Messiah is not coming just to make sure that people do all the right stuff all the time and obey the laws. Messiah is coming to, to heal the whole of creation. He's coming to, to fix all of everything by his power, by his identity. Christ in us means that our sin is canceled out. And we can, we can say, I know with full assurance that I will stand in the presence of God one day because of what he's done for me. He's in me. And because he's in me, I know that, that I will be able to stand before God. This was groundbreaking, revolutionary at, at some point. People had never heard this. It was brand new information. And so it's not surprising that Paul says in verse 28, him we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so then in 2, 1 through 5, he says he wants them to have full understanding. He wants them to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. Sounds like he's repeating himself again, right? From, from chapter 1. I want you to know this with full assurance and certainty, I want you to know all about this idea. I want you to know this information. If you don't know this and nail this down, the, the program is going to go astray. The, the information is not going to Produce what it's supposed to produce in you. If you don't, if you don't get that, that what we, we need to have is a, a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, then you're going to go off looking for something else. Paul says in verse 4 that he does this so that no one may delude us with plausible arguments, right? People are going to come at you if, if the information about what God is doing and how he's doing it isn't, isn't complete. They're going to say, hey, you know what? You need, to, you need to add this, or you need to change that, or you need to focus on this instead. And that's going to draw you off, and it's going to corrupt what's going on inside you as God is working. So then he says in verses 6 and 7, and we, we spent the, the full time last week talking about this, that the way that we received Jesus as Lord, we're to continue to walk in him, and that is that he is, he is Lord, that he is center, that he is the focus, the beginning, the end, and the journey in the Christian life. Right? Many times, as believers, we can get drawn off course. We can get, uh, become convinced that, okay, we have Jesus, and we've begun the Christian life, and we've started, 
right? I, I, was, I was wandering, aimless in sin, and my life was going nowhere, and I was only angering God all the time, and I felt purposeless and lost. And then I found Jesus, right? And that was transformative. And then I realized that I needed to understand certain doctrines in the Bible, right? And when I understood those doctrines, then God would be pleased with me. Then I, then I understood that I needed to beat this sin and defeat this for the rest of my life. And then God would love me more. Right? I realized that, that I came to Jesus, but I, I, I hear all these people talking about the power of, of, of prayer and about keeping faithful in, in reading the scriptures. And so I, I realized I need to read five chapters of scriptures a day and I need to pray for an hour and a half. And if I don't do that, then I'm not good. And that corrupts the program. We get it wrong. You know, and it might not be a big deal, right, if, if you're just trying to walk from your car to your front door, like that you get like a one degree off course, right? You know, within, within 10 or 15 feet, you could be like, I'm not going to make it to the front door walking this way. You know, like I need to turn. But if you're going on a journey of a thousand miles and you're a degree off course, right, you're going to be like, whoa, I'm really far off course. Right. You're going to you're going to try to go to New Jersey for Thanksgiving. You're going to wind up in Pennsylvania somewhere. You know, and then you're going to have to spend a whole lot more money and gas and tolls and driving through traffic and random. And you're not going to be there on time and you're going to get there and dessert's going to be packed up and put away. And you just you ruined it because you got off course. Paul says, I, I tell you these things. I repeat this idea over and over that I want you to reach the, the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. I want you to understand this so that no one will delude you or deceive you. And every time he talks about the riches and a full assurance, and he talks about understanding and knowledge of the mystery, he then says what it is, and he says it's Christ. He says it in Colossians 2, verse 2, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He talks about it in verse 9, where he, he talks about being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then in verse 13, sorry, verse 12, he says that God the Father has qualified you. He's delivered us. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Over and over, he says it's super ultra critically important that you realize that this all depends on the work of Jesus and remaining focused on him. And so he says, don't get distracted by human traditions. Don't get distracted by the way things worked in, in the Old Testament, right? Verse 9, he says here, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And, and, and Paul has been using this, this phrase over and over again, and this is the, the substance of his argument, and it seems, may seem simple if we overlook it. It may, it may seem like it's just 
words and sentences saying spiritual things, if we don't really say, wait a minute, I see it over and over and over again. It's repeated. It must be important. In verse 9, Paul says that the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in him. That phrase, in him, in Jesus. And you've been filled in him. Verse 11 talks about uh, not this idea of physical circumcision, but of spiritual circumcision, that, that the old man, the, the spiritual principle of, uh, of corruption within us needs to be broken. Paul says that, that we have that in him, in verse 11. We've been buried with Jesus in our baptism. We've been buried with him. And then in verse 13, says that we've been made alive together with Christ. And all our, our trespasses are forgiven. Verse 15 says that God disarms the rulers and the authorities and he puts them to open shame. All of these uh, spiritual powers and enemies that, that exist, that are arranged against the people of God, Satan and his demons, all of these, these uh, principles like the rules of, of sin that function within us have been destroyed and shamed by God's triumph over them in Christ. And so Jesus is at the center of everything. In verses 16 and 17, he says that there shouldn't be any religious rules that we institute in there that, that say, okay, you know, like you can be a Christian, but you have to celebrate this feast or you need to obey this rule or you need to follow this diet plan. Verse 17 says that's a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Those were, those were just preparatory. He is, is the focus. Verse 18 and 19, don't, don't let anybody distract you with their super religious experience. Instead, verse 19, do what? It says, hold fast to the head. Who's the head of the church? Who's the firstborn of all creation? Who's the, the image of the invisible God? Hold fast to him and not to all that other stuff. They say in uh, the, what they were teaching in verse 18 is that you, you have to treat your body harshly in order to drive the sin out and to grow. You have to worship angels and see visions and, and, and have all these miraculous, spectacular spiritual experiences in order to grow. But verse 19, he says, hold fast to the head from whom the whole body, the body is the church. The whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. It grows with a growth that's from God. I'm not going to grow if I don't see angels. If I don't, if I don't have visions, if I don't abuse myself in order to drive the sin out that I'm not going to grow? No. Paul says the answer is that if we hold fast to the head, we'll grow. He says, don't get distracted and let these people corrupt 
the, the, the program. He says in Colossians 2, verse 20, if you've died to, to these principles with Christ, then why do you act like you're still alive to them? Which brings us to Paul getting into the, the midst of it here. He's, he's set everything up at this point, hopefully. And what, what I'm going to say next is not just going to sound like well-meaning, nice, spiritual talk. Instead, what it's going to sound like is, okay, this is what it's like to, to run the program. This is what it's like to, to, to put the Christian life into action and to try to put it all together. Paul says that there are those who are deceived, right? There are those who are, who are teaching the church that, that they need to keep a certain diet, that they need to observe certain holidays, that they need to see angels and experience visions, that they need to obey the Old Testament law, that they, that they need Jesus plus this idea. And then Paul says this in Colossians 3, 1, if then, if you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you've been raised with him, then focus on Christ. And so here is the issue. There are two kinds of people in the world, right? That's it. Just two. This is not oversimplification, right? You know, and then usually it's like there are two kinds of drivers or there are three kinds of this. And then there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are born in Adam. And that's all of us, right? We're all born into sin. We're all born with this corruption within us that leads us to, to desire sinful things, desires us to say to God when he says, live this way. We say, no way, I'm not going to do that. And he says, hey, stop doing this. And we're like, nope, going to keep doing it. And we sin and we incur guilt before God. That's every single human being's condition. But God holds out the offer of life in Christ. And we can say, I want that. I need that. We hear the word. Our, our hearts and minds leap to life as the Holy Spirit creates faith and draws us to God. We hear the word. We say, I want that. And, and the scriptures teach that, that God delivers us from the domain of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And we become alive because we die to sin and we come alive in spirit and we are justified and righteous in God's sight. And so there are two kinds of people, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. which puts us in, in a place where we have to say, if, if I've not put my faith and trust in Christ as my, my Lord and Savior, then I'm going to attempt to manage my own actions in such a way that I'll, I'll please God, which the Bible says is impossible. By, by obeying God's law, no one will be justified in his, in his sight. We've, we've broken enough of God's rules. We just have to break one. In, in, in such a way that by the, when, we, when we come before God and we say, what can I do to earn, earn eternal life? He says, you're already imperfect. You can't. You, you can't get rid of your sins. 
They need to be punished and put on someone who's holy. What we need, if we're seeking to to deal with our, our sinful actions and to erase the guilt of our sins, we need someone to step into our place. We need a savior. So if you're here this morning and you're like, one day I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to figure out how to live a completely right life before God and cancel out my own sin, you can't do it. You need a Savior. You need Christ. The good news is that if we confess our sins before God, he will forgive our sins. If we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. If we humble ourselves, he'll lift us up. There are Hundreds of promises in the scripture that say that if we ask, he will give. And so all we need to do is ask Jesus to forgive us, to save us, and he will. God will transfer us into his kingdom. But the need for Jesus doesn't end with entering into God's kingdom we, we need to keep our focus and our mindset on him all the time and not on now that I'm in his kingdom. I need to be good. I need to behave. I need to act perfect because that's entering in with Jesus and then forgetting that he exists, right? What it says here is if you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It's, it's not be raised with Christ and then go back to life. It's be raised with Christ and keep on seeking him. Keep your focus on him. Don't move on from Jesus. Stay with him. Don't let him Move to another place and you not go with him. Don't depart from him and go somewhere else. This is what John is talking about as he records Jesus teaching in the upper room where Jesus says, you need to abide in me and I'll abide in you. We'll stay together. Part of of seeking the things that are above where Christ is, is realizing that not everything that we see each and every day makes a whole lot of sense from our perspective. I put my faith and trust in Jesus, and therefore certain things in my life ought to change and get better. My temptation should go away. It doesn't work that way. My sufferings should go away. It doesn't work that way either. There shouldn't be any pain or struggle in my relationships. It doesn't work that way. What does happen when we put our faith and trust in Christ and then seek him is that we understand how we're supposed to live based on what we've been given. We've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been given righteousness from God. We've been justified. We're adopted into his family. The Holy Spirit enters in and we're given the the ability to, by faith, resist temptation. Right, And so it's not like difficulty is not ever going to enter our relationships. But when difficulty enters, we're called to respond the way that Jesus responded. And in the power and strength that Jesus used to respond. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Right now that just might sound like a command list. Just do this. 
But that's missing the point if we don't recite the verse or, or, or rehearse the argument all the way to the end, right? Because the basis of the way that we're called to live is one in which we seek the things that are above where Christ is, right? I want to I wanna look to Jesus who's seated at the right hand of God and I want to say, I'm going to imitate you and I'm going to behave like you because you have spiritual life and, and I'm with you. My life is united with you. You're in me. And so I'm going to seek to act like you. And so we read Ephesians 4.29. Hopefully read the whole idea. Read it like this. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Right? And so now, when I say, I have to forgive that person, do you know what they did to me? Do you know the way they treated me? The way they embarrassed me? Defrauded me? Picked on me? Lied to me? Scratched my feelings? Whatever we want to say, right? How dare they? Paul says, How did God treat you? And I say, oh, he didn't treat me the way I deserved to be treated. He showed me amazing kindness and grace. He forgives all my sins. You know, of everybody that's in my life, God's treated me the kindness, kindest and the nicest. He doesn't leave me or forsake me. He tolerates just an entire mountain of disobedience and offense, and he graciously forgives it. Wow. Am I supposed to treat others that way? Right? And that realization, Lord, I don't know that I can treat someone that way. Would you help me to do that? Show me and teach me. That's when the power flows. When, when we look at our circumstances and we say, how am I supposed to handle this? And then we say, if I've been raised with Christ and I need to seek the things that are above, we, we, we run the program and we look and we say, look at what I've been given from Christ who's in me. How am I supposed to live? Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That are on earth. Wow, I didn't say that well at all. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Do this and not that, right? This is not action. This is what's going on in, in your mind. Many times we, we don't trust in the Lord with all our heart and uh, we, we don't lean not on our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledge him and allow him to direct our paths, right? That's that famous proverb that uh, is in, in chapter three. No, what we say is, oh, okay, this is something that I can handle. And then we handle it ourselves and we, we handle it in a human way, right? We handle it in an earthly way. I know the right thing to do. Instead of saying, how would the Lord have me act? Instead of, doing things the way everyone around us does them. We don't look to Jesus and say, how, what would he do here? How would, how would he act? When, when God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, he said, I don't want you to act like the Egyptians acted. Right? You're not going to live like the way they lived in Egypt. But then he also says, I don't want you to live the way they live there in Canaan. 
So I'm going to bring you to the mountain. I'm going to give you a new culture. I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to show you my way. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 13 that that law is not there to, to just give us a, a giant list of commands to obey that aren't connected. He says that, that the one who loves has carried out the purpose of the law. When we seek the things that are above, and we, we look to Christ, and we, we realize the, the grace that he's shown to us, we, we then say, my actions and my behavior towards everyone ought to be governed and dictated by this principle of love. Not what's right according to the standards of the world around me, but what's the most loving thing to do? That's just dramatically different. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Well, why would I do that? Why would I live that way? Aren't there going to be times where that's going to leave me at a disadvantage or I'm going to get taken advantage of or people are going to look at me and say, you're a sucker. Like, you, you messed up. They took advantage of you. You're dumb. Well... Paul says, because this and this. He says in verse 3 here, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? When you put your faith and trust in Christ and you say, I need a savior, what happens is, is it is as if we are spiritually transported. Galatians uh, 2 verse 20 talks about this, that, that we are Spiritually speaking, we are crucified with Christ. His death becomes our death. Spiritually, we're, we're united with him. Just like when in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord, they, they died, right? When they, when they ate of the fruit, they died, and yet they weren't dead, right? It's not like they dropped dead and somebody had to bury them. Snake couldn't do it. Right? Didn't have any arms, right? You know, so there they are, and they're they're dead, but they're still alive spiritually. They died, and everybody who was born since then was spiritually dead. We die spiritually with Christ as if we've been punished for our sins, and then we're raised with Christ. It says, "You've died." And then you were raised again, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our spiritual life is not taking place here on the earth according to earthly rules. Our spiritual life is in heaven where Christ is. And we ought to operate according to those rules. Because we've died, Paul will say in another place like Romans, that, that we have been Purchased, We are no longer our own. We're called to live for him. When we say, I need a savior, we're saying, I need someone to take control and to, and to lead me. And so we're giving over our rights to, to God instead of being ruled by sin. Now our life is hidden with Christ in God. The rules are different now. It's not okay to want to claim Christ and want to claim all the, the benefits and blessings of salvation and not go along with the lifestyle that comes with it. Not, not try to live according to the principles that are alive and active within us. Yeah, but why doesn't it always work 
the way it's supposed to? Why do I still struggle? When, does the, when do the blessings and all the benefits come? Paul says, when and then. When Christ, who's your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is some reason why God has not yet fully implemented this change program that he's begun in us, right? Paul says in uh, the book of Philippians, he says, he, uh, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who's began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Why does God restrain his judgment why doesn't he make us all new and remove all of our temptation? Well, it's because he's, he's, he's not yet at the point where he's ready to make everything perfect. Right? If he made everything perfect, I guarantee that people that you love who are not yet in Christ, people who, are, who maybe even attend this fellowship who've not committed to him as Lord and Savior, People who you're, you're, you're becoming aware, like, I need to share the gospel with this person, and you're, you're I'm going to find an opportunity all those people are suddenly judged. Why does God delay his judgment? Because of his kindness. Romans 2 says that his kindness should lead us to repentance and that, and that God is being patient about fulfilling his promises until all of those who he's calling to himself are, are gathered in. And so as we, as we think about putting this into uh, action in our lives, it, it works like this. We need to say, okay, if I've been raised with Christ, then I need to keep my, my mind focused on these spiritual principles that govern the life that I live here, if then, right? And I, I need to continually set my mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Do this, not that. Why? Because this and this, because I've died and my life is hidden with Christ in God. And it's all going to be worth it. It's going to be drawn together and fulfilled. When he appears, we will appear with him. We will appear like him. Okay, now, in just a few minutes, I want to, I want to just try to clarify just a, a, few, a few things, right? It, many times we get confused because, because we're like, but wait a minute. Okay, Jesus lives what I need, but I need to live a holy life, right? Well, yes. That's being and doing, right? It's what, what Jesus does for us. And as God calls us to himself and calls us his children and adopts us and we're called justified, uh, that, is, that is our being. That is our identity. That's who we are, right? You're, you're a human being. You possess value as a, as a person within the human community just by virtue of your existence, not by your usefulness, right? It's not like you go to the doctor and, and, and say, <coughs> I'm sick, and everybody's like, hate on that person until they're better. No, we're like, oh, you need help? You need chicken soup? Feel better. And like, return to us at full strength. Like, rise up, be healed, right? This is, what, this is what people are about. Like, this is why we're, we don't act like bugs, right? Just making sure you're all tracking with me here. Yeah. We're human beings. And then we do things, right? But the Christian life, we're not, we're not evaluated 
whether we're fit for the kingdom of God on the basis of what we do. Our, our doing flows from our being, right? And if we're not careful, we can, we can make all of our Christian life about our doing. And, and we can be like, I didn't do things right today, or I didn't do the right things today, therefore God must be angry at me. Now, that's the way that people work, right? Your boss is mad at you because you didn't make that sale or you made a mistake and it cost the company money or, you know, your, your parents are upset because you could make A's, but you're not, you're not doing it. Or you told somebody you picked them up at a certain time and you didn't show up because you forgot. You messed up. You're not worthy. I'm angry at you, right? That's the way that people work. God doesn't work that way with his children. He justifies them and makes them righteous. And gives them everything that they need to live the Christian life. And then we're called to live holy lives which are built on gratitude. If you're a Christian, you put your faith and trust in Christ... You're never, ever, 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 ever at risk of being lost. You have no fear of judgment. Why then would you live a Christian life? Well, because if somebody's going to give that to you, shouldn't you say, that's amazing. I don't deserve that. Thank you. And live that way for the rest of your life. We operate in this principle because we, we get distracted and we put our eyes on the things in front of us and we're like, well, I, I prayed and I gave and I did and I served. Why isn't this working out? Why hasn't this situation been fixed for me by God? And we enter into this client relationship with him, right? I will give you coins of obedience and you will redeem them for prizes and gifts. That's the way that we think. Paul says, you're corrupting the program. Get back to thinking about Christ and what he's done for us. A true understanding of our being will help us in our doing. Garbage in, garbage out. What you see is what you get. All right, so I just want to talk acronyms and then we're done. Okay? Super popular. I had a conversation with somebody at the end of the message last week and we were talking about WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And I think we can improve on that just a little bit. I think we might have a product here. So if you, if you produce something, you start making money and mugs and shirts and Christian songs, cut me in. It's not what would Jesus do, not WWJD. We need two acronyms. We need W-A-I-I-J, okay? That's one. And we need W-D-I-D-N, all right? Write it down. And make it brilliant for me, okay? And cut me in. It's not what does, what would Jesus do, but who am I in Jesus? Right? That's W-A-I-I-J, okay? I, listen, I'm not going to be able to remember this, so you have to write it down so that we can make millions together. It's who am I in Jesus? And that's got to be first. It's got to be being. Who am I in Christ? Who am I in Jesus? Who does God see me as? What has he given me? What has he blessed me with? Who has he made me? And if I don't seek that and keep my focus there and on that, then everything will go astray. 
So first it's W-A-I-I-J. And then W-D-I-D-N. What do I do now? What do I do now that I'm in Christ? If I, if, I, if I look at what Jesus has done for me and I look at who I am, I realize that not only I don't, I don't deserve this, I've been, I've been given amazing grace, God loves me enough to raise me and unite me with Christ. Ephesians 2, 4, we're not just, this isn't just spiritual nice thoughts. This is rooted in the word. It says, after talking about how dead in sin we are, it says, but God, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together in Christ. God has great love for me and great love for you, and that's why he raised us. And so what we're to do then is to, to, to give thanks, it says in Colossians 1, verse 12, to the Father who's qualified us. He's delivered us and he's transferred us. And so we're to, to live this life of gratitude because of who we are. And so our being should govern our doing. It's got to flow in that order or we mess the whole thing up. This is the good news. What you do is done out of love and devotion towards God, not to earn points so that he'll continue to treat you well. All that we need to live the Christian life is accomplished by Christ. And so we're free to seek to live that life, not to earn his favor, but because he's shown it to us. That is liberating and freeing. That's exciting instead of condemning and restricting and condemning. People say things, people might say to you, you know, now that you're a Christian, you can't do this anymore. Well, it's not that I can't. I don't want to. I get to live a different way. I get to, to live out of gratitude for the Lord instead of living enslaved to my sin. But we have to remember Christ and keep him at the center or we'll get off track. Let's pray as we close. Father, I, I thank you for this word. I pray that, that you would help us to keep our, our focus on the truth. If we've been raised with Christ, Lord, then we ought to continue to keep our eyes on him. If, if we've been made new, then we ought to seek the things of Christ and not the things of the world. Father, I pray that, that we would be those who would remember that we are secure in Christ, that we've died and our lives are hidden. And that we can have a, a full assurance of hope that, that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when he appears, we will be like him. It is finished and accomplished and done for us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to nourish hearts of gratitude. Strengthen us, as you say in the book of Colossians, according to your will, that we might live lives that are overflow with gratitude so that we can reflect your character and, and live not out of fear but out of joy. Lord, we thank you for this word. I pray if there's anyone here who needs to put their faith and trust in you as Savior, I pray that they would do that. And I pray that they would tell someone about that. 
Lord, so that they can uh, get connected to others who, who feel and, and who live the same way and that they can grow. Father, we thank you for your, your many kindnesses toward us and your goodness. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, he is everything. We thank you for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.